Uh, when Pip and I were with a, a group of young adults uh, recently, not here in this city, in another city, um, we got talking about the reason for life, their purpose, their why. And on the whole, they seem to be satisfied uh, by uh, making money, enjoying life, being in relationships, socialising, doing sport, and this appeared to be enough for them. Uh, they didn't seem to want or need an overarching purpose uh, that somehow connected with the ultimate questions of life, such as, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And what is the meaning of life? I wonder if you think about those ultimate questions very often. Sometimes we get caught up in life, don't we? And, and everything's about the immediate, the here and now, and we don't actually take time to think about those much bigger questions. The Old Testament reading from 1 Kings chapter 19 is one of those very good passages that speak powerfully to us, helping us to answer the why question. Um, I'm referring, of course, to the events just after the famous showdown uh, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal uh, on Mount Carmel. Uh, Pip and I had the privilege of, of being on Mount Carmel in, nine, in 2016, which is not that far away from Tel Aviv um, on the coast, uh, just inland. It's sort of a mountain by itself. Um, uh, but directly following that incident on Mount Carmel, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel put out a warrant for Elijah's arrest. And he suddenly turned from being a powerful prophet, prophet kind of purging the nation of, of uh, false religion, if you will, to being an enemy of the state on the run. So we pick up the narrative uh, with Elijah on Mount Horeb. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Uh, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And then he was instructed to stand on the mountain before the Lord, and a succession of natural phenomena took place, a great wind, an earthquake, and fire. But the text says that the Lord was not in the wind, earthquake, or fire. Then after these dramatic displays of natural power, Elijah experiences the sound of sheer silence. Earlier translations described it as a still small voice, um, which we're quite familiar with. But scholars now say that the emphasis really should fall not on the, the smallness of the voice, but the completeness of the silence. An eerie silence uh, laden with a sense of holiness. The tremendous majesty of God's holy presence. And there's a strong parallel here with Moses on Mount Sinai. In fact, Mount Sinai is actually a name for Mount Horeb. Somehow, Elijah moved from uh, Mount Carmel, which is in the northwest of Israel, all the way down into the Sinai Peninsula in, in the 40-day period, and he's there on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same place. Uh, both Moses and Elijah were there for 40 days. Um, Elijah, like Moses, experienced the power of storm, earthquake, and fire. Remember when he received the law? In other words, this event is a kind of recapitulation of the making of the covenant with Israel, but this time the covenant has been broken. 
and a new Moses is required to call the people back, Elijah. So Elijah is confronted by the sound of sheer silence. What is the sound of silence? Remember Simon and Garfunkel wrote and played that famous song, The Sound of Silence. And at the time, actually, I looked this up, um, it did not take off as a great big hit, as, as we know it to be. The first several months, people laughed at this. How, how can, you know, this is nonsense, sound of silence, didn't make sense. But eventually, of course, it became an incredible um, hit. And so Elijah is confronted by the sound of, of silence. He wraps himself in his cloak and goes out and stands at the entrance of the cave. And again, God's voice was heard saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same, exactly the same question. As if his first answer was not adequate. But he replied in exactly the same way. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. But God was actually asking Elijah, why have you run away from your calling? Why are you cowering in defeat? Why are you here and not fulfilling your prophetic call? Have you forgotten your why? What do you think of Elijah's response? There's a mixture of things going on here. He emphasizes his own faithfulness. I have been very zealous for the Lord. Uh, he emphasizes that God ha that he's put himself at risk for God. The Israelites have killed uh, your prophets with the sword. And he's reminding God his very life has been threatened. They are seeking my life to take it away. But the whole patter is laden with gloom. Uh, Elijah is moping in self-pity. And he feels the whole mission of God was up to him, and he's kind of botched it. Israel has not turned back to God. Uh, of course, the background is that Queen Jezebel, who was actually not from Israel, she was from up north near Tyre and Sidon, and when King Ahab had married her, she brought all these idols into Israel, and kind of within half a generation, Israel had turned away from worshipping the one true God to having all these fertility gods, the Baals, uh, throughout the land because of Queen Jezebel. And so he feels that he's failed in his calling to call Israel back. The whole thing is turned to custard. Woe is me. I may as well be dead. That's actually what he says in a previous verse. I may as well be dead. That's so true to life, isn't it? We can often take ourselves too seriously. We think it's all up to us. I'm the only Christian at my work, we might say. It's really tough being a Christian at university these days, or high school, or my place of work. You know, I don't think there are any, any other Christians here, you know. It's, it's very, very difficult, you know, holding the line. And the Bible talks about telling others about the good news of Jesus, and quite frankly, I feel quite defeated even thinking about it. I think if I open my mouth, I'd be misunderstood, you know, or perhaps even persecuted. Uh, here's what a vicar might say. Not saying me, but a vicar, a 
nominal vicar. Oh, this community, you know, so unresponsive. Very resistant. I'm talking about the wider community. <laughs> On the other hand, if that's what you thought, then maybe. Very resistant to the gospel. Oh, yes. People around here are pretty godless, really. They don't come to church much. And, you know, we're only just hanging on here. At least I'm faithful to God, even if no one else is. You see what's happening here? We can actually take ourselves too seriously. But here's the thing. The mission and the future of the church is not up to us. It does not completely rely on us. This is God's work. God does not call us to succeed, but to faithfulness. And there's a big difference. I'll say that again in a different way. God doesn't care about our accomplishments. He cares about our loyalty to Jesus Christ and the gospel. You see, when we focus on success and the outward manifestations of success... We can be very vulnerable to anxiety, to exhaustion, and to burnout. And in the verses just before the passage that we had read before, it's clear that Elijah was at a very low emotional state. And it was partly due to the stress and fatigue over the clash on Mount Carmel. And it was partly due to his genuine fear that Jezebel was after him. And we can understand that. But there's another factor, and that is, he felt it was all up to him, that God had no other plans, and that he'd let God down spectacularly because there apparently was no response. So, what happened next? Well, it's very interesting because God spoke once more to Elijah and said, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, as prophet in your place. Wow. God doesn't refer to Elijah's mental state. He doesn't say, oh, there, there, you know, you've actually done quite well, you know. It's okay, he doesn't say, he doesn't actually direct any of his comments to the way Elijah was feeling at that point. There is no rebuke either, interestingly, um, for his self-pity. There is simply a renewal of his calling to the prophetic office. There is a renewal of Elijah's why, his call. Yahweh says, Go back to the conflict. Go back to the trouble. Go back to the risk. Go back and anoint these three people to carry forward my vision for a renewed nation. And anointing people to become kings, two of the people were kings, were, were to be kings, when they, they were already kings in place, was a highly subversive and dangerous thing to do. But that was his calling. And just to give Elijah a final reality check, God says, and oh, by the way, you're quite wrong. 
you are not the only one left. There are 7,000 others who are loyal to me and have not given in to worshipping other gods. That was the bowing the knee to Baal and kissing the, 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 the images phrase that you heard in the reading. Elijah had overvalued his own significance in the purposes of God. God twice asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And then used his name, Elijah. I like that. What are you doing here, Elijah? And God asks all, all that same question this morning. Jane, Jim, Martin, Jennifer, what are you doing here? What is your why? He asked me this morning, Mark, what are you doing here? Well, actually, it's been a pretty difficult few weeks for me personally. I'm speaking brutally honest at this point. I've been fatigued. I've had to cope with grief and loss in different forms and at different times. I've been saddened uh, for, for various reasons. I felt that the whole mission of the parish was up to me. I felt quite a lot like Elijah, actually. And added to everything, there was the shifting out of the admin building, which we knew, we've known about for about three weeks, the timing of it. And I was not looking forward to that. I thought, wow, that's a massive job. Are we going to do it? I was feeling quite down. This is not last week, the week before. And so this is how God addressed me. In last week's Old Testament reading, I was reminded that building the church is a spiritual work. Remember that? And I was encouraged to cling to God. This is Jacob wrestling with God all night. He runs out of all his own resources, but what does he do? He continues to cling to God, and then God blessed him. So it was a spiritual work. Not human, essentially. Two parishioners thanked me and gave me a gift. God's timing is so perfect when we're feeling down. Pip and I prayed with a clergy couple. They were so encouraging. And now this week's reading from 1 Kings chapter 19 spoke powerfully to me as well. And I moved from being dispirited and defeated to being encouraged that were others with me, that God was with us all, and that everything was going to be okay. And it was because my calling was renewed. My why? Why am I a church leader? Why do I get up in the morning to do ministry? Well, it's because God has called me to do this. God has said to me, as he said to Elijah so long ago, go back to the conflict. Go back to the trouble. Go back to the risk. That is the calling I have placed on your life. Stop moping around. Get on. Fulfill your calling. Fulfill your why. And God wants us to renew our calling this morning as well. What is your why? Not the little why that we often have, and we mistake it for the big why of our lives. Think about your why. Why do you do what you do? Why are you involved in what you're involved in? 
what ministry or aspect of his ministry has God called you to do? God wants to renew that call on your life this morning. You may feel that God is calling you back to something that has been difficult, like Elijah. Come back. You ran, you ran away, but come back. Everything's going to be all right. Nevertheless, God says to you, go back, put yourself out there for me. Love me, serve me, and be faithful to me. That is our ultimate why. Amen. And I invite you to bow in prayer.